Welcome into the Grasscutter Social Club, a social club for the everyman. If you've ever wondered what three average guys and maybe that other random dude are buzzing about after the lawns are all mowed, this is the spot for you. Now here are your hosts, Branko, Burl, and Ron. All right, guys, episode six. Here we go. We've got our inductee number five. The Hagonizer is joining Branko and Ron and I tonight. And guys, how are we all doing tonight? Welcome in. Doing great, man. It's been, yeah, excited to do another one of these. Love it. Love it. Hags? Yep. Glad, glad to be here. Yeah, buddy. We are excited to have you. First time, uh, long time listener, first time caller. It's you know what it's fantastic you're you're actively chatting with us after all the episodes we've dropped it's so much fun uh, getting that sort of extra participation from uh, from people that are listening out there and and we're really just pickled to have you on here um, what's going on with everybody's uh, everybody's days everybody's life Ron and I Ron and I booked a little tea time for tomorrow you guys don't have to brag about it yeah jeez I just uh... yeah jeez. I don't have time for that. Yeah, I just had a family vacation, so I, I was telling uh, Logan this yeah, today. Actually, we spoke how it just it's been such a grind to get back into the swing of things with work, because being on vacation and just having a nice, easy lifestyle, man, could get used to that. And then coming back to be a working stiff is it's it's tough. Took took it took a week to get adjusted, but uh, it's nice to be back in a group of things. But I got some rounds in, so it was nice little holidays with the family. How long were you off and where'd you go? I took the fr- previous Friday off and all the way through to the holiday Monday. Uh, so 10 days, we went to Thornbury, Ontario on the shores of uh, Lake, or sorry, uh, Georgian Bay and did a lot of biking, a lot of uh, beach days and a little bit of golf. Got fortunate enough to get on to Georgian Bay Club. Uh, nice little golf course up there. Um, so that was a little treat, and then uh, played on the Sunday before we came home with my friend James up at Bateau Creek, and it was good, good, good little vacation. Gotta say, no, no complaints. Good weather too. Did you uh, play as a single at Georgian Bay? No, I played with the the. the it's a private club, so I got uh, the, I was a guest of one of Caitlin's uh, parents' friends who lives up there. He's a member up there, so oh nice. I got I got it was nice enough to get invited. Um, yeah, they got a pre- primo piece of real estate um, overlooking the the Georgian Bay. So it was a real treat. Of course, it's in pristine condition, like not a lot of grass out of place, which is really nice for uh, working stuff like myself who plays at a municipal course 90% of the time. So uh, definitely a nice little treat for myself for um, for the for the family holidays so and then yeah the the, the, weather, the weather was good too I, I don't know about you guys if you guys gotten up to anything in the last two weeks but for the most part we've had some really really good weather so yeah yeah same here i've been mostly inside so like my round of golf tomorrow will be a nice break from four or five days in a row of construction so but it's going pretty well here oh yeah how's that going yeah it's going well connor and i got the subfloor in today so it's in full swing, should have insulation in kind of by the end of the week. So it's it's moving along. It's going to go into the into September 
late September, but any, any, you know, did they give you any oh, like updated ETA on those uh, the kitchen stuff, the kitchen cupboards and stuff? Still, yeah, still first week <laughs> of September. So, I God mean, I'm waiting on it. It's okay. It's okay. Gives yeah. gives me a little time to at least. Uh, I'm, I don't want anybody waiting on me, right? So that way, right. it's all right. How's your body holding up? You know, I tweaked my shoulder a little bit today, my non-throwing shoulder at least. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. Like, carrying a piece of plywood is awkward, yeah. right? You're kind of like, you got it one. Anyway, I had it hooked down. Yeah, there's no nice way to do it. <clears throat> we probably put in about 15 pieces of three-quarter inch OSB today. So, lugging those from the garage into the house. Little bit of a tweak, but some ice and a few cold beers tonight should be doing that. Should that's like the definition of sweat equity, right there. You know, people say sweat equity like that is sweat equity. Just need those huge pieces, freaking lugging them around, like no easy way to carry yep. them. Like, geez. Oh man, if if there was a laborer here today, like that's five hundred bucks. Like you can't get anybody to your house for eight hours per day than less than 50 bucks an hour, you know, 40, 50 bucks an hour. So I look at it that way too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. And I'm sure like when it's all said and done and yeah, the project's finished and you sit down and look at it, you're going to be feeling real good about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's hope. And then Hags, you got your big tournament coming up, right? Like the, the one that you organize or. Yeah. Yeah. Next uh, Friday, we got the Algonquin classic coming up. So. I mean, it's been a busy last few weeks for me. It'll be my third short week in a row at work. So I was in Prince Edward County for a few days. Uh, my wife, like, I had to go. That was her perspective. I had to be there. Um, she made us pack the bikes. We were biking around. It was, I mean, it was nice. Um, but drinking all that wine is not great, honestly. That, that <laughs> wine is, there's a lot of shit out there. Sorry. there is some really bad stuff that i tried um but i mean it was fun i hadn't been there so it was nice to be around the sandbanks area i don't know if i've ever Uh, biked shit-faced where you did you guys both get sauced uh by the end of the day i mean we started early but by the end of the day it was uh it was getting rough my legs were not working as as well as they were early in the morning that's still a good little Um, adventure good little hike to go on for sure yeah, and then we've had back-to-back weekends at the cottage with about 10 family members up. So we did the Margarita March where we, we do that five-kilometer walk and take a tequila drink after each kilometer. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. We had a, we had some we actually had some really nice cocktails. Like, it's not just taking shots of tequila anymore as it as it began <laughs> a few years ago. But now it's now it's some, some real special cocktails. Nice. So not bougie, eh? You started drinking like Jose Cuervo silver, and now you're all the way up to oh, fancy yeah. cocktails. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It was just taking shots of Jose at one point. Oh, and now it's, now we, we were like straining watermelon juice and mixing Ooh. it with Prosecco and tequila. And, Ooh, it's, wow. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice walk. It doesn't feel like 5K when you're, awesome. when you're having a few drinks. Awesome. I saw you guys had a golf tournament too, Matt. Like your family was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was last weekend. So we had another event and we all wore something neon, a crazy hat, and knee-high socks. So. Which golf course? Did you guys uh, play at that part three? The... Yeah, yeah. The part three in the woods that, that doubles as a berry picking. 
place. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was, yeah, it's just nine holes. Everyone gets to come out and play. And, uh, you know, even people that, you know, it's the only time they play during the mm. year. So, so it sounds like, it sounds like you're plenty like lubed up and, uh, and getting warm for your little tourney there on Friday then. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a little more, uh, a little more intense. I Competitive. Think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little more on the line. So well, you got all the spreadsheets ready. I, we got the spreadsheet ready. Jeff helped out with that. Luckily, it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, he was like sending it over to me to like look over, it, and I was like, uh, I don't know, man. This doesn't really work that great. He's like, Yeah, I don't know. Like I was trying to bring it over to Google Doc or Google Sheets, doesn't work. I was like, You know what? Reach out to Jeff. Like Jeff is really good with numbers, and sure enough, Jeff like made it amazing. Like so good. Yeah. Yeah. He re- he redid some of it and. You know, he went full hyper focus, and I don't even think he worked for two days. I think he just. <laughs> I told him it was like the best my like got, like my tax dollars have ever gone. Anything was Jeff's like stats yeah. knowledge into turning these like friggin' macros and excels into this amazing spreadsheet that m- me and Matt couldn't solve with our puny brains. Wow. <laughs> a well-run spreadsheet is a beautiful thing. It's excels amazing. If there's one sort of like broad sweeping generalization I have is that all government employees are extremely proficient at Microsoft Office tools. So whether that's Excel, Word, or one of those programs, I feel like government workers are very good at those. Just talking a bunch of shit about oh, yeah. our majority audience here. <laughs> oh, man. oh man. Actually, I was going to bring this up, Franks, because you were talking about all that beautiful weather you had. Um, I, I posted this thing to the Instagram, the golf thing. Yeah. Did you guys see it yet? I posted it like a little while ago. Which one? Uh, Oakmont. Oakmont got that hail from that, that storm that we had. Oh, I, I actually did see that. Baseball-sized hail just crushed yeah, their greens. Oh. Like, these, ball, oh. these balls oh. were just buried in the greens. And, like, it, it looks like freckles. Like there's so many holes in the greens, like they're gonna have to close the course. It's unbelievable. Wow. Uh, yeah, that'd be unplayable. Yeah, on one hand, yeah. I want to feel bad for them, but they probably just print money there. So at the same time, like too bad for those rich folks. Yeah, they'll survive. It you know, and they're yeah, they'll be fine. Anytime that happens to a private course of that sort of echelon, I I, I do shed a small tear for it, but then I'm like, I'm not losing sleep over this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, they probably got some expensive tool like a dehaler, and they just yeah. hover it over the greens, and it just pops them all the, back. The really, up, like, no the really fancy golf courses. You know, you have a fancy golf course when they have that sub air that can uh, suck the moisture out of the greens when it pours rain. I guarantee you, they have one of those. So that's not going to make the dents in the green better, but you know, they got money, so could use one of them man the first time i heard about that was a this year's augusta national yeah. with all the rain they had yeah. and just like they were talking about it like it was like common knowledge like this sub air system yeah. it's like but it, it, imagine that like just you can literally air out these greens like it's laundry on a line in like a matter of hours like it, it, it anyway i don't know it's amazing. um on the topic of sucking and drying out greens i uh that storm effed my basement up eh brank says you know that i had to i didn't listen i i kind of conflate the two because you guys first had that like really crazy like where was the tornado 
the tornado down in the south end, right, in Barhaven, but then there was like a separate hailstorm that happened? Like 10 days ago, and then uh, on Thursday, about five days ago, we had a big hailstorm. It was 90 millimeters in 90 minutes. Jesus. Uh, and my basement uh, flooded. It all came back up. The floor drained and, oh my God. and flooded the and so I just much, got, how much water like how high up did it go uh it was about an inch of water inch and a half of water but we were we were really pooling it so maybe it would have been less if we'd let it just spread but uh Jeez, anyways that sucks, man. it uh yeah I finally got tired of waiting for the insurance and uh the adjuster to come by I was ragging them today and I just ripped the carpet out it was starting to stink up the whole house they they kept oh, me, the mold, man? Yeah, they kept telling me to leave it, leave it. And I was like, if you don't get an adjuster here today, then it's coming out. I mean, I work for an insur insurance company, and it, to, to me, it seems like the biggest graft ever. Like, you pay this thing <laughs> monthly for, like, your, pretty much your whole life, and the time you need it, it, they don't come through for you in any sort of urgency or with any sort of, like, monicum of decency. It's like pulling teeth to get money out of them, but yet they expect you to pay for it. It's like the biggest graft ever. Yeah, I think there should be a bit of a cap on how much money these companies can make, right? Like, I, don't get me wrong, they're a private company, they should be allowed to make make bank, but at some point you got to provide some customer service and get some goddamn, like... I mean, uh, I'm, I'm invested in some of these companies, so, and they're doing well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're too well for me. I don't. I'm not sure I care how much money. Actually, this is actually a great segue because uh, you guys know him from my bachelor parties. Aiden, Aiden's job is an adjuster, and his best friend, his best man, is like at the same company. Like, and they're both adjusters. So hearing their stories from that perspective is also funny, considering like I work in insurance and they're adjusters, and just all the shit that comes through their like door of like like the stuff they have to do for, for clients and they're the middleman. So they get shit on the worst, like, okay. like both the, the people looking for the adjusting are shitting on them. And then the insurance companies are shitting on them. And so one of these episodes we'll have him on and he can, he can share some tall tales. Maybe he'll have a get off your lawn as your, as a, as a guest. So that'd be pretty funny. That would be really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I just got tired of waiting and, they're sending the adjuster Wednesday, which would end up being six days after I called them. So um, <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. It's starting to stink up the entire house. So that motherfucker's, that motherfucker's in the driveway right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's keep let's keep this train on the tracks. Keep it rolling. We're gonna do our sports segment now, and uh, we're talking. We're not talking true blue sports. We're talking fantasy. We're talking fantasy sports because the thing is we've all got our fantasy football drafts coming up. Some of us are in the thick of a fantasy baseball season that's getting nice and dramatic. And then, uh, Hags, you do fantasy hockey too? I know Ron uh, Ron does fantasy. I mean, I've done every sport, but right now I'm only doing fantasy football. Okay. Well, probably better for the uh, gambling addiction <laughs> to, to minimize it down <laughs> to one sport, huh? But uh, what, what our question is and what, we, what I want to talk about is has fantasy sports, like the introduction of, of what we know today from our phones, so the last, like, what, 10 years, uh, has it changed the perspective of sports and does it change how we enjoy sports? Like when you're going to the games and you're watching your Blue Jays or your, or your Senators or, you know, my Bills in my case, 
Eggs, you got an NFL team you you pull for? I mean, this is sort of where I used to have a team I liked, and now it's just I like my fantasy players. I don't have one team that I cheer for. I cheer for those guys, and that is it. <laughs> and I cheer against players on other teams. Like, they might be on the same team as the guy on my, that's on my fantasy team, but I don't cheer for that guy. I'm upset when he makes a catch and not my. So player. a true, a true manager. You're you're out there for your boys and nothing else. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I get super conflicted because, especially like when my Bills are playing and and if I've got an opponent, like if I have a Tyreek Hill or somebody on the Dolphins or somebody on Kansas City, and they're playing against my Bills, like I need those guys to score and I need them to run up that score fast, but I do not like watching my team take an L. Um, Franks, Ron, do you guys ever feel like some some conflict here? Or, uh... It's so funny you should bring that up, Ryan, because I, I, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with recently, but like I remember the days of like when we first started the, the, the baseball fantasy and like you know, you get your pitcher to start against the Blue Jays, but then you're like stoked about like your pitcher doing a ball against the Blue Jays. And I remember like I got my hand in the cookie jar a few times where guys just gave me so much shit because I was cheering against the Jays because my starting pitcher was, was doing well. So I definitely like relate to Matt in that sense of like just cheering for your players. But I do have like loyalties above like fantasy sports. I I understand that that like one instance is like one game of 162 or something like that. So it's not like do or die, but like, yeah, cheering actively against your like favorite team or your hometown team. Like it's not a good look. So I've, I've definitely like learned to like not be so showy about my pleasure that said player is doing well, but um, I totally get Matt's perspective of just wanting to, to cheer for your own guys. It, 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 it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit more impartial that way. You just want your team to do well, not any particular team, I suppose. Ron, what do you say? Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely enhances it. Like, just think about it if we didn't have fantasy sports now. Like, I, I would basically watch almost no hockey. Yeah. yeah, I'm in a hockey pool, and that's why I still follow the NHL pretty much. Like, I, otherwise, I'd be a bandwagon sense fan. And I, you know, join the, join the brigade when they're getting close to the playoffs, yada, yada. But like without the fantasy sports, I wouldn't be, you know, really following it that much. And like, I, I feel like a lot of people are in that boat. You know what I mean? It's like, so I, I feel like the fantasy sports has definitely helped reach a, a bigger audience. Uh, you know, I think it's the betting too, right? Like the fantasy sports and the betting kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Um, and we could get into that whole story now, which is just, I mean, that's more recent than fantasy sports. That's in the last two or three years, right? The betting world yeah. just exploded and you can, you can't watch a game now or a pregame show or anything without being bombarded with the odds of a game. Yeah, the accessibility for sure. I just think back to like my sort of progression was like, I remember doing like ProLine and then I got into fantasy sports and then I stopped doing ProLine and just did fantasy. And then, yeah, like once like websites like Sports Interaction and now, I mean, there's a million different companies. It's almost kind of turned me away in a sense from doing much more fantasy because 
I feel like with the daily gambling, like you can kind of just, you know, you'll there'll be a night you want to get into and you place a couple $5 bets or something. You get much more of that in, initial uh, satisfaction. Whereas the fantasy season, like, you know, I love our, obviously our baseball ones 10 years now, but there's times where you're just like, God, like this is so long and there's every day you have to set your lineup or like, yeah. you know, try to try to find a player or something like that. So um, it, I find it, it can be monotonous uh, at the best of times. So, you know what um, I would like to do? That's not, it's not as heavy as the baseball pool. And like for folks listening, like the baseball pool, baseball is played every day. You have to set your lineup every day before dinner time, you know, you're picking up players like it, it's an everyday commitment, but like we've never done a golf fantasy. I would love to do like the one and done. Like you, you probably have heard yeah. of those before. Yeah. Ryan, yeah, have you heard great. of those before? One and done golf uh, fantasy? No. Well, I've, I've heard of it for football. Okay. I've it's the same idea. Football, like you're, you're picking premise, one yeah. player to place in a tournament. And then once you've picked that player, you're done with them and you have to pick somebody else. So you kind of have to think of the whole golf season and like, you know, maybe save your best players for the end. And you basically going off the money they win in the tournament. Anyway, I think it'd be pretty sweet to, you know, introduce that into our like, you know, repertoire. Yeah, Ron, uh, I totally agree with you. I think about how we do the master's pool every year and it's always such a good time and it's four days and, you know, like you have to do some thinking about it, but really it's quite hands off once you set your lineup. So the notion of, you know, all you have to do is really pick one guy for one weekend or like, yeah, one Thursday to Sunday, I suppose. And then you're good is so attractive right. because it's like the investment is so low, but like, you know, you're cheering for your guy to do well at a tournament. So hundred um, percent, I think that's, that's definitely something we can look into doing. And I think we can get a good buy in there because it attracts like a lot of people that don't have the, you know, uh, I think interest or the patience of a, like a fantasy pool, like baseball or football, but want to like get something that's like with your friends and that. Yeah. You know, you can catch a few rounds on Sunday, Saturday or Sunday or whatever. That's right. Pretty low maintenance. We'll start a grass cutters one and done golf uh, fantasy pool. Next, we'll next take ten percent. We'll take ten percent as an admission fee. <laughs> <laughs> we got to start monetizing this thing. Why don't we just take it off our friends? <laughs> M- members only. Right. Grass cutters social club right. members only. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have to be the first ones to contribute. So. That's right. Exactly. Have you guys noticed how um, on a few of these betting apps, I don't know if you guys have any on your phones, but they look so eerily similar to the way the fantasy apps are all set up, like the way you research players or parlays or, or different games or different sports and transition. And then you can you can find articles on different things to just encourage you to, to roll that money. Like that's another thing that I think – allowed sports to take this next step in betting for sure is that fantasy sports put everything in your phone in your hand and all of these gambling sites that used to you used to have to dig this shit up on the you know on the, the web on your laptop before but now it's all right at your fingertips the same as our fantasy stuff and it's so easy and the parlays are so fun sometimes like especially to stack like a bunch of obscure parlays 
and it only bet like five bucks, but you could win a thousand dollars if it hits. Yeah, like, have any of that's you what they uh, want? Have any? Well, yeah, that's it. That's, that's giving free money. <laughs> They're going after you, girl. You want to roll those <laughs> dice? That's right. Have any of you uh, done that? Like, set up some nice cheap parlays where you're stacking a bunch of obscure things. I mean, I'll always do Sundays where I'll pick the winner of every game, but I only throw about a dollar <laughs> on it. But that's just for fun. But, you know, I have my I have my other bets that I'm actually trying to win. That one I'm not trying to win. That's just that's just if I win it, I get to show everyone, look what I did. What Matt's trying to say is that no, the long shot and the ones ridiculous. he's trying to win all lose, just like all of ours. We're all losers in the end. Despite our, despite thinking yeah. we're good, we yeah, used to have a exactly. thread like me, Matt, and a bunch of guys, and it was called Gambler, and we would just share bets and. Pretty quickly, that that thread got real quiet because either guys would yeah. just only show their winners, and then just like nobody was winning, so there'd just be no posts for like weeks on end because nobody was winning and nobody was yeah. gambling because he had no money. I was like, this was this was a bad idea from the get go. This is just the saddest thread ever. Yeah, uh, it's it's just it can hook you real quick and yeah. Take you- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the idea. I don't. I think if we were all winning a lot, like they would, they would probably kick us off. They would just ask us politely yeah. to go gamble somewhere else. The thing about those parlays, though, is it sort of acts like that. Like I don't know about you guys, but I still, I still fill out a March Madness bracket every year, and I know, I know it's gonna be wrong. I don't follow enough college basketball even to get close to it. But nobody's ever done it before. But you still want to do it. You want to put a couple bucks down. Fill out your bracket and see what happens. And those parlays, they act the same way. And the fact that it's so easy for you to like, it's access. You can scroll your phone and put a few together that you, yeah, yeah it's just it. And you so. could do it 365 days a year. It's not just March Madness yeah. anymore. And it's, it's gotten bigger every in the day states now that they started legalizing gambling in certain states. So the money is just rolling in yeah. for these sites. Oh yeah. So I. I got a. I have a little trivia, a little question for you guys, because I, I I had Googled this before, uh, and a company had estimated how much online, you know, sports books would earn in Ontario, and it's just been what we're like we're probably like two years in in Ontario, and so it, it's only growing. But this yeah. was for like not the first year, like basically uh-huh. this last year. Like, you know, 2022, guess how much these companies had grossed in Ontario after, you know, just their first year, basically. Net or total? Net. Like just minus what they paid out or everything? Yeah, so the, the article I found was about like taxation because I was curious how much the province would estimate it to earn. And I can tell you that as well. But so this is global. All the sports books in the province combining all their profit in one year of an enterprise that is really just combined. getting started with new apps. I was going to say a billy. I'm going to I'm going to say like 5 billion. I 100 million, 500 so million. So it was estimated at 989 million dollars. Okay, I was way over. Which which translates <laughs> to a hundred. Brian's like that is mine. <laughs> but that's that's nearly two hundred million dollars for the province in, in in tax revenue from those companies then 
paying their taxes. From degenerates. So that, that's Jeez. over and above ProLine and OLG. Yeah. I don't know what – I know OLG makes a lot as well. Why are my cucumbers so goddamn expensive? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how much money they're putting into – social programs to help people stop gambling then yeah because mm-hmm. there is going to be a huge amount of people right now who are in full addiction because of the ease access like you can you can put on money you don't have that's the thing and it oh, is, yeah people are going to be in a lot of trouble like i i didn't make a bet for a couple weeks on my uh draft and then I started getting these emails where they would just email me five dollars to start betting again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I get that with like the, building with the score. My, building up my game. That's how they get yeah. you. That's how they get you. Right now, that's how I'm funding my gambling. Is I just wait for them to send me free money and I gamble that until it's gone, and then I just like, all right, come on, send me more. <laughs> I need it. I need it. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Excellent. I think it's all just an extension of fantasy sports, right? And it's it's gaining that knowledge of players that you'll never fucking actually care about and then pretending like you actually know what you're doing and wanting to bet on it. You want to bet on it because you think you know. You think you have a half a clue about, you know, players and teams on the other side of the country and parlays you can bet and I I think it's changed the landscape and and to be honest for the better it's so much fun it's like it it could be bad for sure i'm I'm sure there's there's somebody listening who may disagree with us but um i definitely think it's a lot more fun to go with a little skin in the game that's sorry ryan i wanted to just say that's why i sort of have cooled on fantasy is that you know if i need that hit of like action or do like something like that you can put a you know, daily fantasy lineup in or bet in a couple games, do a, like, you know, one of these far flung uh, parlays or whatever, whatever floats your boat. And it's just easier to get that hit of like whatever action for that one time instead of like a fantasy season. It's like four or five months of like, you know, I rather just do, give me the, the the quick bite than the, the slow burn. The slow burn is like, I've cooled on it. I'm not saying I'm out, but. I can like, and now that gambling online is so much more accessible, like you said, like I get on my phone, oh, the Sens are playing. Why don't I just throw a quick 10 bucks on the puck line, you know, see, see how I get this money back. I mean, it's mi- minus 160. I mean, this is as sure of a bet as, as possible. So, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're a fish on a line here, Branks. You're going to get, yeah, I mean, it's Tim Stutzla. I mean, he's, he's good for two tonight, right? Uh, that's what makes the fantasy champion, though, a real, like, he's the grinder of the league, the guy who <laughs> stays on it all the time, always watching all the trends, picking up guys at the right time. That takes you know, that, work. That guy's a champion, work. for sure. Yeah. I, I've got a ring to prove it. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, let's move on. <laughs> all right, before we, before we wrap on our sports, though, we wanted to talk about another brief one because yeah. – um, we were talking about Granky and the Hall of Fame, and then Linscombe came up, and I think we just wanted to quickly talk about like bubble guys and whether or not they're hall worthy. But Ron, do you want to want to take this from me because I know that I can't really deliver this the way 
Oh, sure. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's August. Uh, that's usually, I think it's actually in July is when the MLB Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony um, gets done. But I don't know. It's always a fun argument over who's good enough and, uh, you know, who might fall short, especially I feel like these arguments are perfect for the baseball hall of fame. And maybe that's cause that's the one I know best, but like, I feel like you don't have these same kind of arguments when it comes to the NHL hall of fame or basketball or football or any of those other, you know, the other major sports, it's just kind of a baseball thing. And I think that's because of the, the reputation the baseball hall of fame has, which, which I've been to actually, I was there, I went with my family when I was probably 16 or 17 I would love to go back and see it again, but no, is for it, this. Sorry to ahead. interrupt. Is it is it as quality? Like I've been to the hockey hall. Is it on the same level as the hockey hall? Oh, it was 10, 10 times better than the hockey hall of fame. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like the whole town, the whole town is the hall of fame. Yeah, it's basically like a town. To a, a, yeah, like we went to breakfast and like the the menus are shaped like a baseball and like, like the, like it's a small town, like Cooper's town, like it lives and breathes the hall of fame. And they got the double day feel, which is like this amazing little minor mm-hmm. league park that's there, like all yeah. kind of a, a, you know, the brick facade around the front behind the home plate. Like it's just gorgeous. Yeah. So no, I highly recommend a trip to, uh, to Cooper's town for, uh, to check out the Hall of Fame, but uh, no, it was awesome, Ronnie. I'd love to go back. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, just quickly, if we could talk about three starting pitchers who not, none of them are in, but maybe we could talk about who has the strongest case. We're talking about one of them. Actually, only one of them is is still an active player, and that's perhaps his biggest pro is Zach Greinke. And his longevity, uh, he is a Cy Young winner. And then you got big time Timmy Lincecum, who was like a firework at the start of his career, but obviously fizzled uh, towards the end and had a, I don't even know if he played 10 years. And then you've got perhaps one of the greatest change-ups ever in the game, Johan Santana. Uh, threw a no-hitter for the Mets. I believe the first no-hitter for the Mets. You know, I think he won at least one Cy Young for the Twins. Uh, And and might have been the best pitcher in baseball, which I don't know that Tim Lincecum could say that in any of his years. Uh, Zach Greinke could not say that for his. But Johan Santana, uh, I think for a brief period there when he was on the Twins, was – the best pitcher in baseball, maybe him and Roy Halladay back then. Mm. But I don't know if any of these guys stand out are are Hall of Fame worthy, um, but would love to hear some thoughts. I mean, I think Zach Greinke is just based on his numbers. Like if you look at the average amount of wins by a, a guy in the Hall of Fame, it's around 250. So Zach Greinke has 224 wins. Wow, that's pretty wins. good. It's crazy that he has mm. 224 wins considering he pitched for the Royals so long. He almost has 3,000 strikeouts. Which is another wow, 3, huge number. Uh, that's a Hall of Fame number. 
He's played Those twenty are, years. That's, that's a great thing. point. I gotta, I gotta say, Hags. Before we got on, you said that Lincecum, he was on the ballot, and then can you just explain that for us again? So he he was on the ballot last year, but he only received two point three percent of the vote, and you need five percent to stay on the ballot. And so that so he is now off the ballot. But he can reappear on the ballot at a later date. He cannot reappear on the ballot. He what he can is like there's like a. There's like a committee that gets guys in, like, you know, they yeah. look at your profile, like, down the road, and if they feel like, you know, based on the way that the game is aged, they can, like, retroactively put you in. It's not, like, voted on by uh, the writers. It's more of, like, this, like, I can't remember what it's called. It's, like, some sort of committee they have there. Uh, I, I was saying this to you guys in our production meeting that I think, uh, what's his name? Uh Harold, uh, not, not Harold Baines or something like that. Like Harold Baines got in. It was Harold Baines got in and it, like, you know, his stat line aren't the greatest, but like, you know, the committee thought based yeah, on the Harold time Baines, and what yeah. he put up, like he was worthy of it and they like inducted him in. So, you know, it's not over for, for a guy like, uh, for a guy like Linscom, but it, you know, down the road, they will, they will have to been swayed. It's, it's going to be pretty hot pretty hard for him so i i will say like and this is certainly not on his behalf but like as a, a baseball fan and i was a, a fair weather fan like the first two pitchers that i really recognized from outside the blue jays organization was randy johnson obviously the big unit and that, he yeah, was scary lefty. but um i loved lincecum because he was undersized and ron you'd know better than me did he have three cy youngs and three world series like that Two Cy Young. Two. Yeah. Two each. Two two and two. Two each. Still, I like it's just unbelievable that a guy, even for that short of a career, to have two Cy Youngs and two World Series. And I think he was only like five eleven. Like he was a small guy. And throwing the way he did. I heard this weird story that his dad trained him to follow through on his pitches. Eggs, did you ever hear this story? I haven't heard it, no. So his dad would put a dollar bill on the ground uh, by his drop foot. And Lincecum had to throw the pitch and pick up the dollar bill before he could stand back up straight. And so that taught him to like throw his hand all the way to the home plate and then all the way down past his foot to pick up the dollar bill. off the, And his dad would just plop these dollar bills in the ground until he got his follow through all. And so if you ever watch highlights of him, he has this overly dramatic follow through where his fingers are almost, you know, touching the dirt. And I just thought like to, to get to squeeze all the juice out of this little lemon, it was like, okay, we got to do these extreme things. And it's no wonder that he had a short career. Like these guys that play now are they're mammoth. They're gigantic. They're all six four, six five, six six. You very rarely see um, a Nestor Cortez, you know, a chubby little, you know, five foot eleven, six foot nothing, throwing some nasty movement pitches off speed. But uh, yeah, I've got a soft spot for Lincecum. I think I think he's my vote for a guy that should get in. But you make a great point. Uh, with the numbers on Granky. Yeah, I, I'm always a Granky guy. He was like the quiet weirdo, but he was just like way better than everybody. He just, 
had a lot of craft and guile and like he could i remember early in his career he could definitely dial it up in the high 90s if not even crack 100 and then like you know he's as his career has gone on he's become just like a a crafty pitcher but he's mm -hmm. still like you can see it's all in there like there's all those great videos of like playing head games with pitchers and doing certain things and um kind of game within a game stuff didn't he throw like a 45 mile an hour pitch this year oh i'm sure he's done some crazy stuff like <laughs> like just something ridiculous just throws an ephus or something i think i think it was last year he he did it in like batting practice that day and told his pitching coach he was gonna do it and they begged him not to and then he went out that <laughs> afternoon and, yeah and, and just he... threw it and he liked to hit too. Like he was a good hitter for a pitcher when when he was playing in the NL parks. Like he always wanted to hit, and I'm pretty sure he's hit a home run, which I mean is not uh, super like rare, but like it's definitely rarer than most. So um, I'm pretty certain he was a pretty good hitter in his own right um, as as a pitcher, even though that's dead now. But um, yeah, I, I vote Granky. I, I like Granky. He's he's a weirdo amongst the. Uh, yeah. All weirdos. The problem with Linscombe and Santana is they didn't have the longevity. They don't have the win amounts. They don't have the strikeouts, really. Like, the Cy Youngs are great. And even, like, a World Series win, I don't see that as a bigger factor in baseball than it is in other sports like hockey. It's like when a guy goes to the hall, it's like, well, how many cups does he have? In baseball, I'm not like, oh, that guy won a World Series. It's like, I don't even think about oh, that. Oh, really? I feel like it has less weight. And this is the thing I brought up with, with Ron and Ryan is that Santana kind of came before those guys. And he was at an era where they valued uh, wins a lot more than some yeah. of the peripheral stats, like uh, the quality of, of the strikeouts versus balls and, and, and some of that advanced uh, analytics stuff. Mm -hmm. And that changed a lot with guys like Felix Hernandez on like a, I think he was like a 12 win season. He won a Cy Young. Mm -hmm. um and and i was telling the guys how the the one year that santana was a shoo-in to win he lost it to bartolo cologne who had like 21 or 23 wins with the angels but like you look at the rest of his numbers yeah. and he had like 60 less strikeouts his era wasn't nearly as good but like they gave it to a guy that just had more wins because you know yeah. the, that was pre-moneyball and, and moneyball changed a lot of that stuff Granky uh -huh. almost has as many innings pitched as the other two combined. Just looking at it too. Well, that, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Ranky. His Cy Young year. I mean, if he gets the 3,000 strikeouts, there aren't that many pitchers with yeah. 3,000 strikeouts, especially if you have 3,000 strikeouts and you're not in the Hall of Fame. I don't even – I couldn't tell you one. Maybe – is CeCe yeah, Sabathia in the Hall? No, eh? But he will not be. Not yet. Not yet. He's not eligible He yet. will be. He will be when he's eligible. No. Kurt Schilling is yeah. above, and we know Roger Clemens he has well. uh, That's the other bad thing about the Hall of Fame. Bit of a political yeah. checkered past that is, um, you know, clouding his ability mm. to enter the Hall. But all these other guys. Yeah. The old guard. That's right. All right, boys. Why don't we, uh, we're going to take our first break, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back and we'll, uh, we'll continue this gong show. All right, guys, we're back and we are excited about this one. We're talking, uh, we're going back to the movies, back to the films, but this time we're engaging a little nostalgia and 
we kept it real loose. What we are talking about today is how like all of our kids or all of our friends and people, everybody goes on Netflix. It's, it's right at your fingertips. It's on the remote, but that's not how we grew up. We grew up with whatever was at hand. And so this included VHSs or DVDs and, you know, some of us were lucky enough to be at the cottage and we had a set of VHSs that would either double, there'd be a set at home and a set at the cottage. What, what, what we want to talk about today is those go-to VHSs, those hundred plus time watches, those films that we could not ever put down or that would break our hearts if somebody were to tell us, oh, you can't, you can't watch that. We don't have it. It's not available. Um, and so we're breaking out the nostalgia. It's, this is our go-to uh, film. If you had to survive a rainy day, a shitty day, uh, and and share share with each other, so I'm gonna throw this to you guys because you guys know what it's all about. What's your go-to's when it comes to uh, these classic VHSs? I I still do it on Sunday at the cottage. I love because we don't have Netflix or anything, and mine is always Gladiator, always every Sunday. It's Gladiator. Wow, that's a good movie. I can't. I, I don't know what it is about that movie. I can't. I can't get enough of it. And, and how long is it, Hex? Is it three hours? It's it's a long. No. It's pretty long. It's pretty long. I'll often nap at some. Exactly. Point. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have one in the barrel that's a good napper. And Matt, Matt gets nostalgic <laughs> to to watch dream sequences of a man touching wheat. That's what he really likes, Dean. Yeah, that's, that's right. He just wants to see Russell Crowe just graze the top of his hand along week. <laughs> yes, I, I concur. It's that, or we have we do play we do have a, a DVD one, so it's always Shooter too. Oh yeah, 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 Shooter. You know, with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, Shooter. Um, yeah, and I, man, Matt, Matt, I've been to your card. You have like a lot of VHS up there. I don't know that we've ever watched together, but oh, um, it's like a collection of three hundred plus. Yeah, for sure. I think I've seen like I think the Titanic is a double VHS. I think I saw that at your cottage last time I was up there, which I didn't even know yeah. that Titanic was so long that it needed you have to... three copies. <laughs> Um, but one movie that I feel nostalgic for watching on VHS was at our other friend's cottage, Teddy. He had the VHS of Double Team with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman, mm. which on one side of the VHS uh, uh, VHS like uh, sleeve, it's Van Damme on the ground and Dennis Rodman behind him. And then on the other side, it's Dennis Rodman in the front and Van Damme in behind, like doing different poses. And I've definitely seen that movie more than any like reasonable person should uh, at his cottage, just like drunk or whatever, hung over the next day. But good movie. Mickey Mickey Rourke is in it also as the bad guy, um, if you didn't know. So um, yeah, I would say that that one probably is pretty high for me. And then another honorable mention is definitely Miss Doubtfire. I don't know why. <laughs> I've seen that movie so much, whether on uh, reruns on TV or just, I think we had the VHS for that movie, but just like top, top end uh, Robin Williams for me, in my opinion. Family friendly Robin Williams. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That's me. What about you, Rye? What do you, what do you got? What do you, what are you holstering? Uh, for me, like when I think of this question, um, and it's not even 
a well-known movie, but for some reason, growing up, my brother and I, <laughs> we would watch the movie Three Amigos. I don't know if you remember Three Amigos with <laughs> Eve Martin, Martin Short, Chevy oh, yeah. Chase. Yeah, Three Amigos. I, do you, yeah. So the, the plot of this movie was that yeah. they're all movie stars who are typically doing these kind of Western kind of Mexican movies. Like that's the movies that they've played and that they're famous on. <laughs> and, but then for some reason, and I forget why they actually have to travel to Mexico. I think it's to someone writes to them, asking them to come to their town, offering them a lot of money. And when they arrive at this town in Mexico, there, there's an actual conflict and a war between like this really bad guy and this small town. And the town thinks the movies are real and that the, the, these comedians will save them. It's a, it, it's a must watch if you haven't seen it. But my brother and I, no joke, watched this movie over a hundred times. From when I was probably like five or six till like eight or nine, like we would watch this movie. I couldn't tell you. The VHS was worn out. And mm. the VHS, like, remember you could record, you could record movies when they're on TV? Yeah. Yes, and yes, yes. This, VH, this wasn't at the actual Amazing. Three Amigos VHS. My, my dad had like taped Three yeah. Amigos when it was on TV. <laughs> And like, remember those like labels on the bottom of the VHS with the name yeah. written out? Like, it, and like there were these spots where the the recording didn't go well. Like maybe it caught a commercial, like, or like there was this part where this like opera singer, like one part of the the movie was cut out where it was an old recording, and there was this opera singer that just came on halfway <laughs> through the movie, like. These are things that today's generation will will never know. Yeah. Like even just how hard it was to record something, like trying to get that perfect recording on VHS, stopping it at a commercial, starting it right after the commercials came back. Like I don't know. It's so nostalgic. It, it is. And like you're oh, you're so right talking about the recordings. I'm pretty sure that's what we had at the cottage. We're like the CBC sunday recordings right so like when happy gilmore because it was on every second week it felt like and i'm pretty sure there was a every summer you know a scratched out like <laughs> kathy's wedding scratched out happy gilmore <laughs> <laughs> recording up at the cottage for sure i i had a hard time with this one because i was almost overwhelmed there's i had a short list of probably five movies that i've watched more than a hundred times and I narrowed it down to two. And and my two, kind of like Hags, is a napper, uh, something you can close your eyes to on a, on a rainy Sunday. And it, it's Forrest Gump. Like, mm. it was the perfect length of time where you could take a nice 45-minute to hour nap right in the middle of it and wake up and know exactly what was going on in the story and, and just keep it going. And so Forrest Gump was my go-to, like, chill and then um, Aladdin and sort of ties to Branko because we just love Robin Williams and that genie coming out of the lamp. And our cottage was a big kid's cottage, so it was all full of the classic Disney uh, VHSs, right? Like Lion King and um, Little Mermaid and all those. But it was Aladdin for the boys for sure. And, uh, and then 
Forrest Gump for the naps uh, were my two go-tos. But there were definitely some of the action flicks that that we've talked about on the previous one of the previous pods up there that were go-tos as well. Independence Day and Jurassic Park, uh, to name a few. Ace Ventura was up there. I was thinking about that oh. one as well. Did you guys – here's a quick question when it comes to the nostalgia VHSs. Did you guys have to go through this? Because I did, where you had to negotiate with your parents why it was reasonable to buy the same movie on DVD. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh. buy a double of Jurassic – like, we own Jurassic Park on VHS, but we also need to own Jurassic Park on DVD. Did any of you guys have to do that when we transitioned from – VHS to DVD, like negotiate the purchasing of like movies you already own. Uh, no, no, I did not. I did not do that. But uh, the power to you. No, no, I did. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so I'm alone then. I guess uh, maybe one of our listeners. Ryan, did you have did you have the VHS player that also had the DVD no, player? No, we just. Did you have one That's of those? That's why we had to double up because you know, one was one was gone with the wind and one was uh, coming <laughs> in. So, like, I'm not going to never watch Jurassic Park again. We need Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Do you have backup D- VHS players these no, days? No, I don't. Because, I... <laughs> you know, like, if you have VHS players, it's so hard to get. You need a backup Because they'll die player. eventually, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think we have three backups at the cottage. Oh, I'm, just in case. I'm sure my dad has yeah. like six of them in this house somewhere. Yeah. Actually, it's so funny we bring up this whole VHS thing. Like where I get my kid haircut, uh, the, the girl that cuts my hair, actually, she like went on her own and opened up like this little shop, This her and this one other like hair cutter, hairstylist person. But like the front, the little sitting area where you wait, they outfitted it with one of those combo TV VHS things and they just put stuff on loop and like they were actually playing Happy Gilmore, which made me smile. But I just remember like how much of a cool thing it was to have one of those back in the day, especially those combo ones. If you had it in your own room, like Matt, I don't know if you remember this, but for some, for some reason, this like sticks out as a memory to me when we were in high school is that remember Shana bought Steph Jewett one of those for like his birthday or something. I just distinctly remember this story. Like this girl for a bought her for his boyfriend, one of those combo VHS TV things. And I was like, Oh my God. Wow. Like what a cool girlfriend. Like she bought him that. Like that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but the thing I noticed just looking at it today is just like how crappy the quality is. Like I just re- recently watched happy Gilmore yeah. on Netflix and it was like, so crisp. Like the colors are so crisp and like watching it, it was like, all fuzzy and then there's like that tracking you know the tracking shows up when like it's trying to like find like the i don't even know what it's doing when it's doing that but anyways vhs like a great little like memory but also just such crappy quality i gotta say the nostalgia brings the warm and fuzzies though for sure kids kids these days will never know the the uh anxiety of rewinding a movie but then having it sucked into the into the machine to oh. only ruin the <laughs> oh god also i wanted to just add on one one thing i was telling the guy that worked there i was like oh man i remember when like you used to have to return 
like VHS to like a store and it had to be rewound or you got like a yeah. late charge and these or like like some charge for not rewinding and he's like what? <laughs> I was like you don't get it man you don't get it <laughs> just, just just like go cut somebody else's hair dude uh, you don't know yeah, mo- movie rental stores those are yeah. that's nostalgia too yeah. like having to reserve your copy oh for sure or you're trying to get there like the day it comes out and you're like there's none left there was always the new releases while blockbuster and like the big movie always had that one like yeah. whole section it was maybe like 20 to 30 things and you're just looking behind and there's just nothing like just they're they're all fucking gone yeah you you're reaching trying to grab behind <laughs> there's nothing more awkward than that interaction when you know there's one copy left but there's two of you standing there looking at it like okay what do we do now we both came here for this movie there's one left <laughs> The worst is when you wanted a movie that there was like only one copy of, and you're like, "Oh, who the fuck mm. took this, man? Like yeah. this sucks." <laughs> uh, it's so good. Good times. Good times. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna take a little break, and we're gonna come right back with uh, with segment three. Keep keep this thing on the tracks. We love it. Uh, we're coming right back at you with segment three, and we're talking about a little family, and then we're gonna talk about a little bit of food food and beverage but uh first of the kids because we've all got pretty young kids ron you've got the girls doing some t-ball and and other activities uh branks and my kids are pretty young but we're already talking about soccer next year and t-ball next year and um and hags you've got a huge sports background yeah and what we were really curious about is like what is what's everybody's opinions on like solo sports versus team sports uh certain sports versus like for movement wise uh versus you know ball or stick sports or racket sports and and sort of what everybody's thoughts are on what's what's the value in some of these games which ones do we think are most valuable which ones do we think are you know did we have the best experience with so I'm going to sort of throw to you guys and and let you maybe maybe we'll let Hags uh, come in here with some of his experience on. And if on, I could add to that, Ryan, if I could yeah, add yeah. To that quickly, just like I'd love to hear because I know Hags, you did all the gymnastics. I'd love to hear about what your gymnastics schedule looked like. What was it a week in Hags's life when he was heavy into the gymnastics <laughs> and what was that? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously biased. I am pro gymnastics, being a competitive gymnast for um, quite a while, from when I was about six till I was about 14. But I, I think the value of a solo sport like gymnastics is learning how your body works, learning how to understand where your limbs are in space it's also building strength i mean it doesn't have the same you don't build the same social skills as you would in a team sport um but i mean there we call them uh beehive sports some of them you know like uh, soccer and hockey are basically you just have kids who go around in a little beehive and there's no real structure to it Whereas, you know, something like baseball, it's like every kid has a position, right? And it's more like that's where you go. But those change as we get older. 
Um, but there, there's that sort of difference between solo sports and team sports is more that social and those social skills of turn taking as well as, you know, solo sports, you're just by yourself. Everything is you're relying on yourself to do everything. You know, the only person you get to blame is yourself. I mean, for me, competitive gym, gymnastics was pretty intense. It was 20 hours a week from when I was six. So I would do four days a week of practice, um, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> half of that was strength training. So, it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot when you're doing like one sport and you're trying to be at an elite level. I mean, it really, it broke my body mm. is what happened. That's why, that's why I couldn't do it anymore. I just, I couldn't handle the, the amount of time and the amount of sort of injuries that start building up. Yeah, that's crazy. Huh? Wow. So you think gymnastics kind of weeds, weeds kids out that way? Uh, I like, mean, at least competitive gymnastics. Yeah. I mean, if you can't keep up, you're left far behind. You have to be learning new skills all the time. Hmm. You know, you have to keep progressing. And, and that's why the, Matt, wouldn't you say also that's why there's so much burnout is that like all the best gymnasts are so, so young. Yeah. And they're all like retired by the time they're like early 20s, right? Yeah. Like all those best gymnast girls in the States are like, you know, 17, 18. And did they stop and they're like. That is starting, it's starting to change though. That's starting to change where they're like, even Simone Biles coming back after a two year break. And basically looking like she hmm. never left, but it, it it is it is really hard on your body. But gymnastics as a kid is a great sport just to learn how to use your. Yeah, body. no, I agree. I think also what you said about you know I think I grew up much more of like a a team sport fan because I loved the social aspect of it, and I think I struggled with the individual sports. I played tennis, mm -hmm. and I just remember just getting mopped. Uh, and I think like, I just gave up too easily. And I think those sports are like, I would, if I could go back, I would try to like persevere a lot more in those because I think it teaches you how to, you know, when you don't have your best stuff and, um, you know, like yeah. when you can't rely on somebody else, how to push through and also like to teach yourself, like, Hey, like I got to work harder if I want to get better at this thing where, playing on a team sport can mask a lot of those things where the team could be doing well and you feel like you're contributing, but really maybe you're not really growing as an individual in, in that sort of environment. So I would definitely like, yeah. if I could go back, I think that's a really good call out. Um, and trying to figure those things out and trying to, you know, uh, learn, learn how to, uh, improve on those. And I think tennis, like, if I could go back, I probably would have tried to stick with that a lot more. Not like to play anything seriously, but you know, to try to like figure out how to think on your feet and 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 adapt and not just give up at the first sign of uh, yeah, kind of like a negative outcome. Yeah, it's kind of like resilience, like building. Yes, you know, yes. Things are bad. You're still like, okay, I can keep going. Yeah, and golf, and I, I think golf, like all of us play golf together and. Golf is like another one where like as I've gotten older and uh, gotten a lot better at golf, like so much of golf is like hitting the shot and moving on to the next shot, not dwelling and learning how to do that is really hard, especially when you're young. Like, <laughs> all you want to do is just break a club over yeah. your leg or just quit. I, can, I can't tell you how many times I quit 
before I even played the front nine because my score wasn't what I thought it should be. But so much of golf is like this journey and each like shot is another opportunity to like improve on the thing you did like previous to it, you know? And uh, there's there's a lot to be gleaned from that, I think. Ron, what do you think? Where, where do you land on this? Yeah. I never really played individual sports growing up and team sports and sports in general is just a huge part of like, uh, like, I guess my rudder in life just kind of keep me balanced. I think like looking back on it now, like, um, you know, when you're playing the game, you're, you're present, you're not thinking about anything else that might be upsetting you in your life or, or, you know, not even upsetting, but just it's an escape. Uh, and it was really important to me. I wish, man, I wish I started golfing when I was younger. Um, I wish I did an individual sport like gymnastics. I wish I was more flexible now. Like Hags, I remember when you joined the baseball team and you did like a backflip. One of the first games, like, who is this guy? Like, how is he a grown <laughs> man doing backflips? And like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I kind of like about gymnastics yeah. too. And um I don't know if it, my it, girls it, are. It gives you some cool tricks, well, but other than that, it's you know, <laughs> it, it's it's life lasting though. Like going through that, um, those challenges, like it, you know, it does teach you a lot yeah. about work ethic and all these other good things too. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting, but there's no perfect. I mean, you, you know, no. you can't force kids into anything at the end of the day. They're going to gravitate to what their interests are. Um, and the sooner, I think, as parents that you kind of hone in on that, the, <laughs> the, the better for everyone, right? Like, I'm, I can remember some kids growing up playing hockey and they were miserable and their parents would yell from the yeah. stands and just like awful like no one's having fun right so yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta pay attention Actually, to that kind like, of thing too so hags i got a quick question for you and this is gonna be a long explanation <laughs> to lead into my question um i so recently i heard this psychologist explain that swimming is really healthy for kids because the water exerts this pressure and it's so independent and the kids can really only move as fast as their bodies can propel them. So they're constantly just competing against themselves and their abilities in the water, right? And they're not necessarily aware of their competitors. They're trying to reach the end as fast as their body can carry them through the water and through this pressure that the water puts on them. So I really thought that like that speaks to me because I'm so, I'm super physical. I think you guys know that about me. Like I'll throw myself physically into anything. Uh, before I know what's going on. And like when I was young, my solo sport, as nerdy as this is, was bowling. And the problem with bowling is that there's a limitation to skill, right? Like, and this might speak to sort of Branko talking about tennis, right? I think there's, I think there's a skill bubble where people can be uh, gifted. You know, like you look at Dave Crane with a God-given talent of like speed and skill in certain areas and like, he can reach any level in all of these sports because he's got all these extra skills and bowling was like that. Like I was always very, very good. I was top, you know, 15 in the city, but I would never be anywhere close to the top five because I just didn't have the skills. My physical abilities could take me so far. And then when I got into high school and did wrestling, I found 
oh, here's a sport that is super physical and doesn't require all of this mental or skill, and we're all on the same level, and really physical. Do you find, like, because I look at gymnastics, and I see so much physicality, right? Like, it's so physical. Do you find you can, if you were to push yourself physically in gymnastics, you could reach a really high level, or do you need that extra skill to carry yourself? Yeah, I... I mean, there, there's talent in it. Some people are more talented. Um, I was only a provincial level athlete. You could be a national level athlete. I trained with national level athletes, but there is a difference between them. Like I, you know, there's the recreational kids and then there's provincial and then there's national. And those guys are really good. Like they had more, they had more talent than I did Yeah, and they were just, you know, some people's bodies are just built differently that, that it works for those sports. Yeah. It's not necessarily like, like, yeah, I, I probably could have worked harder. I probably could have done more, but you know, it's tough. Like gymnastics is a tough one when you were growing up at our age, like people didn't look that highly on it. You know, I remember being bullied because I was doing gymnastics and I was like, I don't understand why. I mean, you know, people would call it girly and whatnot and, you know, question my sexuality. It's like, hmm. dude, I can do backflips and handstands. What can you do? <laughs> but, you know, it, that wasn't important to them. They right. were all, you know, it was kind of like that, you know, put, you know, kids back then, they just put you down. Didn't matter what you did. No. Um, and I think that was a hard part of why, why I kind of started moving away and, wasn't as motivated to do it because you know once you're moving towards high school it's like well you know what's really important to you and you know it's what's important to your friends as well it's so i find that especially difficult to process on your own the the level of effort it takes to be good at something like yeah obviously you guys know i'm pretty tall but mm -hmm. I, I think i got away with always having height and athleticism to work for me, but I never had somebody be like, Hey, like you've got this, but you need to work hard to get this next level. And like, no, it's a lesson. I don't think anybody can really yeah. teach you. You have to I learn it like, and know it and do it and execute it, or you just never get it. Uh -huh. And that's fine. Like I always had so much fun doing all the team sports for me. It was always such a joy. I think I have so many great memories, but when I think about like, could I have done something differently with sports? Yeah, probably if I like worked my ass off a lot more and didn't just go off the talent I was. And like, I think about all these times uh -huh. that like I didn't do well in sports. It wasn't cause you know, I wasn't good enough. It's just that I didn't work hard enough. You know, like I could have done all these different things. And I saw uh, Caitlin's cousin, this young kid, his name's Teddy. He plays triple-A hockey and watching him play hockey and like just knowing him over the years from like family functions, he has that. Like he knows how much hard work it takes to be good and he's so good at hockey. And I'm like, I wish I had the like, you know, the growth this kid has. And he's like super nice kid, like not cocky at all, just works his butt off, does school and like just does dry land, does skating and all this. And his parents don't come from like a hockey background at all. They were like skiers and swimmers. So they don't know jack shit about hockey. And he's so good at it. And I'm like, 
this is what it takes. Like it just takes for like this sort of self-realization that like all the God-given talent is great, but you also need to like work your butt off like harder than the next guy. And just then you might like get really good at something, you know? And that's, that's like the distinguishing factor, right? Like that kid is yeah willing and it probably doesn't feel like work to him you know what i mean like he no he, no no it doesn't and, and that's the difference like a lot of kids love the game but it's like that next level where that's all they want to do yeah there's uh, that internal drive right, yeah right. like a lot of a lot of us get it's a lot of external motivation that we get. Like we get praise from people or people like us when we do well at a sport, but the people that are really good, they can do that for themselves from the inside. They don't need anyone Mm. else telling them how great they are. They just, they're like, I have to do better. I want to do better. I'm going to improve themselves. Drive, man. That's always what I hear from guys. I mean, and that's, yeah. I don't know how you learn that. Though. No, you do like it's 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 a self-realization. It's one of those things like in your life when your parents tell you don't do this, don't do this, and like you do it, and then finally like it like kind of clicks, and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have been doing that. Like this was bad. Like why didn't I just listen the first time? And like it's either falling on your ass and realizing it, or like falling enough times that you realize it. Some people don't realize it at all, but like eventually you realize that it's probably because time has passed and. You know, maybe you have hindsight and you realize it, but when you're able to like sort of realize it in the moment, that's probably when it's the most yeah sort of uh, beneficial because you're like, yeah, I need to, <laughs> you know, I need to, I need this to change, like um, because there's I can, I can only affect the change that I want to see, but it's yeah, it's, it's so hard to see the forest from the trees in that moment, right? Like I, for me, like all I just remember is like, yeah, like I love hockey, but all I want to do is like be the first one in the change room so i can just have banter and the last one to leave because i just want to just shoot the shit and hang out with my buddies you know like hockey hockey seemed so secondary like playing was in retrospect seemed so secondary the hang was what i was there for which that's not how you get better at hockey unfortunately i mean maybe that's a good segue to my final question on this topic is like which which team sport do you guys think is the most valuable for kids? I really love what Hags brought up about how like soccer and hockey are these beehive sports where the kids, because that is annoying when you see all the kids just as a clump moving around. And I, I did like what you said about how baseball has positions and the kids have to wait their turn. And they, you know, you, there is some boredom involved, I think too, like where the uh-huh. kids don't have a ton to do. Yeah, but I think kids get to learn, right? They get to learn that you don't, it's not always your turn. It's not all, you're not always engaged with it. You have to stay present. And, but I mean, it's it, you're like, we've heard Aaron talk about coaching T-ball or Watsy talk about it. And it sounds like an yeah. absolute nightmare. <laughs> For sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I have a hard time coaching rugby to high school kids. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to coach T-ball to fucking five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Did you did you coach T-ball run? I did. I did. I, I coached Lindy last summer. And, I mean, coaching is a word like, <laughs> loosely. loosely applied to what that was. Like, it, it was, you know, it was like herding cats. Like, it was wrangling up the little kids, trying to teach them some skills about baseball yeah. or what, what's involved. 
but it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it, uh, to be honest. But it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like teaching them truly about the game. It was teaching them yeah. to share and take turns and and baseball's good that way. You have a batting order. Like yeah. The amount of times that kids would just try to pick up a bat and go swing it. It's like <laughs> all that stuff. But I mean to your question, Rye, like which sport is the best? Like I don't know. It just it really depends on the kid. Like I think yeah. we would all say you just want to see a young person find something to be passionate about, and mm-hmm. you know if they get those social uh, benefits from being on a team, or they learn about themselves more through like a gymnastics or an individual sport. Like hey, like we'd all be happy with that, of course. So I don't know if there's one in particular, like. We'd all would love for our kids to gravitate to the sports we love. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've already got my girls a few different sets of golf clubs. And I'm, oh. I, I, more than anything, I want to golf with my wife and girls. We're four of us. Like, that would be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be made. Like, that would be perfect yeah. for me. So I'm going to keep working on that selfishly. But if they love something else, that's okay too, right? It's whatever yeah, they want to. That does sound pretty great. All right, guys. I think we're going to transition and start uh, start tail spinning this thing towards the end. But uh, what we wanted to talk about for our food segment this episode was actually nothing to do with food. <laughs> Ottawa, we, yeah, we are blessed. Uh, Hags, maybe you know this, but a, a few years ago, I heard some stat that like per capita, Ottawa – within a 300 kilometer radius has like the most craft beer companies and breweries per capita on earth. So we are like some craft brewery um, hub of the planet. You, you seem to have a disagree look on your face. I, but... I, 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 I just, I, I didn't know that. Honestly, I thought it would be more of the Toronto region. No, I've uh, heard it's Ottawa because of uh, the stuff that's going on between here and Montreal. Okay, um, back. I heard that Minnesota, Minnesota is a close second, uh, and Steve and I had some craft brews down in Minnesota mm. once. But um, what my question was was like, are are you guys loving any craft beers right now? Is there anything that's really uh, hitting home with you? And then when you go to the LCBO, because here we have the pleasure of of taking like a a mixer pack it's these little eight eight grip beer boxes and you can walk around and sort of pick your pick your beers choose your poison um do you guys go into the lcbo with a plan to like fill your cart before you leave so we're sort of talking loosely about craft beer and and your plan going into the lcbo so uh maybe hags i feel like i'm i'm chomping at the bit to hear what you've got uh, to give to us here i, I mean you guys I, I, you probably know I was I was into craft beer pretty pretty deep in the pandemic. I ordered like every single week. I ordered from a different Ontario brewery. <laughs> I I got the beers. I got the swag. <laughs> like I have a massive beer beer glass collection now, and you know it. it I can't say there's like one because the rise of craft is still like a trendy thing. Like for a while it was like hazy IPAs and then it was sours and then, you know, it kind of switches. So I kind of just, I go with the trends and, you know, see what breweries are putting out. And I'll, whenever I go to the LCBO, I go to the beer, the beer fridge. And the great thing about LCBOs is they have to stock 
craft breweries now. And I look for whatever's new and I will try it at least once and I will try everything once. But, you know, there's not there's only one that I'll get over and over. And that's that's Dominion Sunsplit. Oh, you like that one. It's a good it's, it's a the only one beer. I'll get over and over. Great. Yeah. The problem with it is it's like 350 calories and it will add a lot of weight to your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Just pack it on. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. Like the some of the IPAs can get really heavy, and as much as I love them, it's just it's hard to stomach more than like one or two at a time without feeling super bloated. Uh, and that's sort of the quota for me these days: is two two of those tasty IPAs, those hazy IPAs that look like a like a milkshake, and and, and I'm feeling pretty good after those. Yeah. But to your point about uh, LCBOs and um how you choose beers um ryan i love doing the same thing and i told you guys this before i always go in and i always like to creep by the whiskey aisle like i just want to go take a look i'm probably not gonna buy anything but i just want to make sure that there's not something there that i do want to buy in which case i will buy it if it's there and i don't have it and then usually I'll look around and then maybe I'll like do a flyby of the tequila aisle, see if there's anything in the tequila. And then I'll work my way through the fridges, you know, <laughs> and, and most of them have like kind of a same setup for the beers, but like every LCBO, as you know, is like kind of has a lot of local flavor, like what, like the beers are from that area and then they'll import stuff. And I don't really know what the, like what the formula is because i've been to some big lcbos that have like a really shitty craft section and then i've like the, my local one in hamilton that has like a, actually quite a small fridge actually has a really good selection or at least like the beers that i like and then you know you get that little eight pack of tall boy like little holder that they provide you with and just fill it up a couple of the usual favorites you know your your nickelbrook naughty neighbor two of those and then Maybe go uh, Bellwoods. I gotta have a Jutsu or two. Those are like your, those are like your Vuve Clico of IPAs. Oh uh, yeah, Jutsu is key. Yeah. Those Jutsus. I don't know if I've ever had one of those Jutsus. Oh, you're missing out. Yeah. Oh God, Ryan, it's the best. And then, and then, and then I like to, like Matt said, sprinkle in a couple like, like like something new that I haven't seen or something that I haven't had in a while, like like one-offs. <laughs> and then you just put those eight in your fridge and see how long it lasts. Maybe it's a weekend. Maybe it's a week. <laughs> who knows? But it's it, without without a doubt that's always how it goes. It's just the quantity that changes between the purchases. So man, you, you guys know Branco. Branko once texted me and he's like, Hey, can you go to Fairlawn bourbon, yeah, and yeah. pick me up this bottle of bourbon? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm like, okay. And I get to the, I get to the LCBO and I'm standing in front of the glass case where, you know, the expensive ones are. And the guy is like, Oh, are you looking for this? And I was like, yeah, how do you know? He's like, everyone is looking for this right now. So I, Branko has sent me to an LCBO at my house and he's in Hamilton and then I'm picking up a bottle of bourbon for him because I guess he's just tracking bourbon on the website. Branko, you getting some Pappy Van, Pappy Van Winkle from uh, from No, no, Pap, Pappy, Pappy's not uh, over the counter. That Somebody would kill, kill you for that if you had it in like public possession. But... Uh, 
that Blanton's bourbon is is a pretty hot ticket. And think, you know, I used to be pretty jaded about the LCBO and its purchasing power and why it was so expensive and we didn't have certain things. But now I'm realizing like they actually have a lot of purchasing power and our ability to get like pretty good rare bourbons is a lot better than most places. So uh, no complaints there for me. I'm I'm happy with my bourbon collection. <laughs> Ron, what about you, man? Tell me about yours. You're drinking a bat blue, which is kind of that low end swill, but I want to hear how, how how your experience is at the LCBOs when you're purchasing your liquor. I don't know. I mean, I am on a different level than you guys. I feel like I go to the LCBO usually with a mood. And by that, I mean, like, what beer do I want to drink on the golf course? And, like, this summer, it's been, like, I've been buying a lot of Labatt Blue. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've been enjoying those. And it's uh, certainly not a craft beer by any means. But, uh, you know, the price tag's important to me when I go to the LCBO. Like, some of the beers are, like, holy, like, this is still a can of beer, right? Like, what's inside of this, like... <laughs> Why is it four bucks or more for a can? But anyway, uh, I know, but I kind of go based on that. Like, I'm like, ooh, this is like a beer I want to have when I'm just, you know, doing a podcast on a Monday night, like other things like that. So I don't know that I have uh, a go-to. Um, I do like, like, I like Perth Brewery. Um, mm-hmm. And I would Perth's usually good. get something like from them, uh pretty regularly try their stuff they got a few good ones and we've done some uh, kegs of theirs too for the ball party so maybe i'd say perth brewery is uh one that i usually try to go to uh quite often because uh drive by it a lot going to the cottage and whatnot. nice that's 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 reasonable that's that's totally understandable and like you were saying about the prices of uh the tall boy or the tall boy some of the craft ones the mat uh you know this obviously, but the sun splits are about as expensive of a tall boy as you can yeah. get. I think it's like five fifty for a tall boy, which is absurd. Five, really? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's about five. Yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. that. And what kind of beer is it? Is it is it like an orangey? It, it has like a citrus flavor. Uh, it's a hazy IPA. Okay. It's it's quite strong, six point eight percent. So. You, yeah. you know, the stronger the beer, the more you're paying. Yeah, basically. well, I mean, there are those triple IPAs from like uh, Flying Monkey that I don't know. I, I, you know, our buddy George, he drinks like the triples, and Teddy, he'll drink the triples. I don't know how they drink those. They're like ten percent. Oh, so I was about to, I was just about to say that. Like, I, uh, I've been loving what Collective Arts puts out. I don't know what you think about them, Hags, but uh, it seems like every time I get something from collective arts their beers are just fantastic but today we went down to uh for those of you in the ottawa area we went down to artisan for lunch and i took megan and i i went with the full intent that i wanted to go to beyond the pale and pick something mm. out that they had there um little did she know we had to spend 80 bucks on lunch and and then go <laughs> to beyond the pale but uh if you've never been it's a great spot to go so we went to Beyond the Pale, and one of the things that I use to measure some of these craft breweries is if their strong beers are drinkable. Mm. And so I got like a, a 10%. What is this? <laughs> I got like some little 10% can and then a 9.8. 
and they're delicious. <laughs> and I'm sitting here with a nice gentle slur going on well, as, yeah, as we're yeah. doing this pod. I'm because... starting to notice the slur right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Because I, I need to read exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to talk about. But um, to be honest, beyond, I'm super impressed with these because that's what I gauge some of these craft breweries by is if they can make a strong beer that's drinkable because I seem to have a real affinity for strong beers and there's nothing that makes me a little, you know, pissed off or angry getting home and Mm. it's undrinkable. Um, Every winter I like to get one of these Russian Imperial stouts. That's like 12%. Oh yeah. The Russian period. Those are, yeah. 12, 13. Those are, those are. Yeah. And you get home and you try and drink it and it's like, I can't drink this. No. If it was forced down my throat, (laughs) you know, uh yeah anyways but yeah i i kind of go in with the same same affinity as branco uh i have to wander through the bourbon section if there's anything with a red tag and a five next to it i i seem to leave with that and then uh and then i always i don't this is going to touch ron's heart but i always grab at least two pilsners either like old style pilsners or uh or maybe miller lights i'm a big pilsner guy lately and then those will go in the box and then i'll fill the box with whatever other uh you know craft stuff i want to get but uh, i almost always have to grab two cheap ones that i feel better about getting the expensive (laughs) (laughs) they'll they'll break the bank balance it out exactly exactly i mean it also depends on like how many you're gonna have because i always find like the first or second one you have should be the expensive, like strong ones, because like I find that first or second beer, yeah, whatever it is, is gonna taste amazing. But once you're like into three, four, or five, if you if that if that's what the night calls for, like I don't want my third, fourth, or fifth one to be like a heavy or like expensive beer. At that point, I, <laughs> you can give me just about anything and I'll have it. Like it doesn't really matter. But the first one, that's the, the that's kind of the table setter, you know, your leadoff hitter. You want that guy to be consistently good, and then everything else after that, like who cares? <laughs> Barring a Russian imperial style like that, just doesn't fly in my household. But no. <laughs> I still want to know who that guy we talked about in the earlier episode, the person. Yeah. Who? Who, <laughs> oh, who yeah. is this guy? All right, it's uh, it's my dad. My dad, oh. will, my dad will come to my house, and he's a Coors Light and Sleeman Clear. Yeah. <laughs> 2.0, right? 2.0? If it's not Coors Light or Sleeman Clear 2.0, that's right. Uh, I don't think I – like, I've even seen him. He'll go fishing with his buddies, and his buddies drink Blue or uh, Molson Canadian. And when the cooler runs out of Coors Light or Sleeman Clear – it's time to go in. Like it's time to dock the boat. We gotta head back in. <laughs> oh, wow. he, won't drink, he won't drink what they have on hand, and all they're drinking is is Canadian or or, uh, or blue. So, uh, so and he's not even been to. Craft. There's been occasions because you guys know that I have the pool in the backyard where it's like, oh, it's a hot summer's day. Like, Dad, you want a beer? It's like, yeah, I'll have a beer, and we're all swimming, hanging out by the pool, and I'll come out with some you know, yummy craft IPA. And that's what I've got on hand. Cause you know, that's what I got at the LCBR. No, I'm not drinking that. 
that shit. <laughs> so I I didn't uh, I did not disclose because it was hitting close to home. But there's definitely uh, a source. You know that for sure. That's actually a little more acceptable if it's your dad. Like if it was one of your friends, I you know family I see a little different. Like. You know, that's fine. But if that was like... Especially when they're old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Set in their ways. Yeah, we'll forgive them. We'll forgive them. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it's the old man. The Coors Light loving uh, Clarence. But uh, let's keep this thing on the rails. We're going to wrap it up with some fireworks. And I'm going to do a get off my lawn, gentlemen. Because uh, I'm going to be honest. I went to the park the other day. And uh, and we were at the park with the kids. Everybody's playing and having fun. And all of a sudden, like, these older kids got it in their heads that they wanted to sift the sand through the play structure onto the lower area below where they were all digging and playing earlier. And so they took, like, a five-gallon bucket full of sand, hauled it up, and it, it started out super fun. My son and a friend of ours, their son, uh, were like catching the sand as it was being poured through the play structure and sifted down below. And it was a game and I just let it go. But after about 20 minutes and their fifth trip with like a five gallon bucket of sand, it was obvious that nobody was having fun anymore. You know, the, the older kids were <laughs> purposely trying to dump sand on the younger kids who were looking to just like play or escape. <laughs> and I think that parents that go to the park and dive into their phones and don't give a shit what their kids are doing need to get off my lawn. And my, my question for you guys is at what point do you say something? Cause like we did it delicately as a teacher, there is nothing I hate more than teaching or or having to speak to somebody else's kids outside of the job. I don't want to do it. My buddy Jay did it. He spoke gently to the kids and sort of said, like, you can't dump sand on them. Because it had been 15, 20 minutes of them just, oh, my God, waterfalling gallons of sand on these kids. But, like, what do you guys think? When you go to the park, are you – are you parenting other people's kids? Are you are you stepping up to the plate when they're not paying attention? I see you shaking your head, Frank. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to make sure that Noah's like sharing the stuff with other kids, and he's usually like, even though he's bigger than kids probably his own age, he's you know still pretty young, and he like can't really talk all that much. So I'm just trying to instill in him to like share everything, and you know, it can be tough at times because he's like usually pretty set on like one thing at a park given time and like he hates giving it up. But I don't want to tell anybody else how to parent their kids because I'm, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can for, for my son. So I don't feel like I have uh, enough uh, years under my belt to be telling anybody uh, what to do with theirs. So um, yeah, I haven't run into that situation. I hope I don't run into that situation. But you know, I mean, I, I would probably, I, you know, people, I, I feel like kids look at me and they're like, they think I'm a clown because I had a kid the other day. It was like, he started chatting me up. Like he didn't want to talk to anybody else. He's like, Hey, I was like, what's up? He's like, what's your <laughs> name? I was like, Frank. He's like, he's like, I'm Ben. I was like, Hey Ben. 
I swear he looked at me and he just like probably thought like, look at this big, tall dummy. Let me go and talk to him. So at least I can be a little bit of like comic relief for these young children running around. So yeah, not telling anybody anything. Ron, do you uh, do you co-parent some other children out there when you're with the girls? Uh, I mean, I would have I would have done the same thing Ryan did or his buddy did. Like, if if it's starting to affect your kids' play, like for sure, like <laughs> tell the kids ideally gently to like cool it, you know, go do something else. But I I mean, you can't you can't interfere with somebody. And I've seen some kids like like. What what I get most anxious about is like when a kid might hurt himself. Yeah. Like he's playing and maybe they're too young for something on the play structure and like they're gonna barrel off or they're gonna smoke. I've seen a kid smoke his head on a like walking into the the play structure, like the under part, like and the kid like went down and I looked over <laughs> and the, like the mom was like you said, Ryan, like just looking at her phone. But you know what? Asleep at the wheel. That kid that kid got up, like kind of looked around, saw that no one was like, but the kid was hurt. Like I could tell he was hurt, but, you know, and I saw it coming, but you can't, you know, you can't tell them. <laughs> I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. Like, Oh, Hey, your kid, you know, your kid's being a little dangerous. Like, no, you don't want to be that person. So, you know, kids would be kids, but yeah. 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 It's tough to shame other parents. Cause you know what? they're going through and how hard it is to keep an eye on your kid 24 7 you know we all need to take our eyes off them sure. at one point i i 100 percent agree i agree but if they're being brats they're being brats you know yeah that's right yeah. and and i think that's the challenging part is like i'm gonna be honest sometimes when when oliver's being a like tonight i was a little late because he was having a stage 12 meltdown uh, leading up to bedtime and that's when you don't want a parent right like it's like i'm i'm checking out <laughs> um, oh, yeah. so i'm sure these parents were probably in the same in the same boat but it's hard when it affects your kid right and they're they're pouring all the sand yeah out. especially and somebody's especially if all these like don't do that or i don't like that like if there's being uh you know if they're doing it the right way and using their words and bigger kids aren't listening then yeah like for sure step in there you know maybe don't go in there shoving kids over and throwing sand in their face but as much as we'd like to (laughs) but you know you gotta back up your kid too when they're doing it the right way i feel like it's easier to talk to the kid than it is talk to the parent oh yeah oh for sure (laughs) unless as a teacher as a teacher i can attest it's a hundred percent easier to just reason with a kid than it is for sure. Well, gentlemen, I think that's that's an episode, and that is our episode six. What a fuck! What a great job, guys! Fantastic job, Hagen, crushing it, man. We did it. We made it. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for joining us. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, it was sweet. And Ron and Branks, feel like we should do this again, guys. What do you guys think? I think so. I think we've got. I think we've got one on the books, maybe for next month. Who knows? <laughs> Wrap it up, Pearl. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. We hope you like what the Grasscutter Social Club is putting out there. We can't wait to see you guys again in about a month with a new inductee to the Grasscutter Social Club. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast for any future updates. 
and share with your friends who you think might also enjoy our pod. If you want to follow us on social media, check us out on Instagram at Grasscutter Social Club. Cheers, and until next time, take care.